Good morning. This church is so welcoming, and I am so glad to be here. This is an amazing church, and uh, thank you, Mark, and the worship team. I appreciate that. Uh, thank you guys for having me here, for opening up your pulpit so that I can come and share a little bit of what's on my heart, what God has placed on my heart. Um, Chris Barnhill, I want to thank him. He's not here today, but I thank him because he, he's the one who called me. And many of you know Chris and know how Chris is. And so he calls me, he says, uh, with his soft, debonair voice, he says, Stuart, and he always starts with, are you sitting down? <laughs> and so uh, I said, yes. And so he goes on to set up what he's about to ask me. And then he says, brace yourself. Now, if you know Chris the way I know him, when he says brace yourself, in the past it was, would you sit on a board for me, for my organization? Can I have 10 acres of your land? <laughs> Will you help us build a $3 million gym or facility for our kids? That's what usually follows brace yourself. This time he just says, would you like to speak at the church? And I said, sure, Chris, that's, that's easy enough to do from you. Uh, I want to start off by saying happy Mother's Day to everyone. Um, all the mothers here, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Um, if I had enough time, because I'll tell you this, because I said, Chris, um, run down the program for me. He says, so he starts to run down the program. He says, Stuart, you'll have about uh, 20 to 25 minutes to speak. And I said, uh, Chris, you just asked a black preacher to come in <laughs> and you only gave him 20, 25 minutes? I said, that's just warm up. <laughs> but you guys don't have to worry, I'm not a preacher. But I do have lunch catered in just in case. <laughs> But happy Mother's Day, I, I, I don't have particularly a Mother's Day message today. And so I want to apologize to the mothers here. But I will say this, there is no better representation, in my opinion, no better re representation of God's love for us than a mother's love for her kids. Nothing wrong with you dads, but mothers will sacrifice everything including their pride, to protect, to save, to provide, to, to do whatever, to care for their kids. There is no better representation on this planet. And so as I talk about God's love today, I envision because mothers, you are that representation for me. When I see you in action, I think of our Lord in the way he sees us. I like to also... Um, Say, oh wait, I will tell you this too, because not only does a mother sacrifice everything, you can also include forgiveness. You could be on death row and the mom will be sitting right next to you as if you did nothing wrong. Complete representation of our God. That's who he is. Um, I like to give a shout out to my mom, Mother's Day. Uh, her birthday is in two weeks. She will be 84 years old. And um, she's getting up there in age, a little bit frail, but last year she said to me, she says, I want to move to Vegas. 
I said, no, no, Mom, no, we're not doing that. She said, no, 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 I really want to move to Vegas. I said, why would you want to do that? She goes, I just want to move to Vegas. And I said, Mom, I said, how am I to, you know, be able to take care of you and, and help you out? She goes, I don't care, I want to move to Vegas. So we literally argue for six weeks, no joke. Argue for six weeks. And then she pulled out the big guns on me. She said, will you let me live until I die? So needless to say, in two weeks, I'll be traveling to Vegas to visit my mom. <laughs> it is a surprise, so if you know her, do not tell her. I plan to fly to Vegas and just knock on her door, surprise her. My only hope is, she's very feisty, my only hope is she's home. Because even today, I have to pick a, a specific time to call her because she's going to a Mother's Day party somewhere. So she, she just keeps moving. So. I, I love her so much. But moms, you are the greatest representation, in my opinion, of God's love for us. Let me open us up in prayer. Father, we thank you and praise you so much just for allowing us to be here today. Father, we thank you and praise you. You are our rock, Lord, and there is no other. You are our rock, and there is none like you, and we depend on you, Lord. We need you. We want you. We desire you. We love the fact that you love us. And Father, I want uh, your blessings upon everyone in this room, but even more so, will you let each person in here know, would you let them feel it today of how much you love them? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, I was once taught that the Bible is actually God's love letter to us. This Bible is God's love letter to us. The first part of the Bible talks about God's power. The first 27 verses, in the beginning, God created. And you know all that he created, the heavens, the earth, the moon, the sun, animals, uh, birds, and then us. And he breathed his life into us. There are seven billion people on this planet. My goal is to meet every single one of them because our God has something to do with them. I want to meet every single person because of that. But in God's love letter, the first 27 verses are about his power. The rest of it is God demonstrating his love to us. I think there's about 31,075 verses left but it's all about what he's willing to do for us. And you know the biggest thing, of course, was sending his son to die for us. But this love letter tells us all about God's love for us. Hey, and to be honest, if you think about, like you don't really need to hear a message from me today because all the songs today that were sung, if you think about that, it, it pretty much is a message in and of itself. Um, I, I asked Mark, I requested, this was a request uh, to play Reckless Love, and I love that, that song. It says, there's no shadow you, talking about God, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. That's a message right there. 
That's a message in and of itself. Uh, one of the songs that you sang, uh, I am not worthy, still you love me. I am not worthy, still you love me. There's another song, and I don't have a slide for this. Sorry, Captain. Um, there's another song uh, called How, what is it? How Many Kings, and it's by Down Here, a group called Down Here. And it's usually a song that's played around Christmas time uh, because it talks about the, the birth of Jesus and, and him coming. But in, in that song, I have some words, some lyrics here from that song. It says, how many kings stepped down from their thrones? How many lords have abandoned their homes? How many greats have become, become the least for me? And how many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that's torn all apart. How many fathers gave up their sons for me? Only one did that for me. These songs, if you listen to them, worship is a meaningful time of day or a meaningful part of a service because those songs in and of itself are a message to you. And today is about God's love for us. Trying to understand God's love for us is, is, like, is like us trying to understand the universe. You know, scientists are doing everything possible to find the edge of the universe. And that's us trying to understand God's love. It is so vast, so big, so amazing that we're still trying to understand it. And even if we did find the boundaries of God's love, we would still struggle a little bit to understand uh, within the love what all, what all that means for us. So I mentioned earlier that uh, a mother's love for her child uh, is, is my, my representation in my mind of God's love for us. But I have a challenge for the mothers, though. You know, this is bringing you back down to earth. I know I lift you up. I'm bringing you back down to earth a little bit. I have a challenge for you. And this challenge is really for everyone in here. I just think mothers will be able to relate to it a little better. So that challenge is think about that love that you have for your child and what you're willing to do. And see, even in the mother, mothers don't fully understand or comprehend that love because it comes naturally to them. If a mother sees a truck coming down the street and their child runs out, a mother's diving out there um, to save her child. It comes naturally. I don't know that a mother fully understands that love that she has for the child. She just does it. So here's the challenge. The challenge is take that love that you have for your child, imagine that kind of love, what you're willing to do, and apply it to every single person on this planet. Think about that love. Now try to apply it to every single person on this planet. It's near impossible to even fathom that we can do that. But that's our God. He loves every single person on this planet regardless of who they are, regardless of what they have done. He loves them that way, that sacrificial love. As you know, he sent Jesus to demonstrate that for us. That's difficult to do, but I think that's what God calls us to do, is to have that type of love. We have to understand it, but to have that type of love for every single person on this planet. 
I want to read in, um, in God's Word. We're going to turn to Luke 15, God's love letter, not his word. It's his love letter now. And um, forgive me, I did bring my Bible, um, but I'm going to read from my phone. Um, and it has nothing to do with the small print in my Bible or the need for readers at all. At all. But I want to read to you um, out of... Um, out of Luke 15. Now, I'm set to set the stage. Jesus started a ministry walking from, the, from Galilee, the region of Galilee, down to Jerusalem. And as he's walking and ministering, crowds are building up. Crowds are gathering all around him. And they're listening to him uh, tell stories, tell parables, and, and just minister to people, healing people. And so as he's going from city to city, more and more people are following along. And so they come to this point in this passage in Luke 15 where uh, the Pharisees looks at Jesus and sees that he's talking and eating and drinking with tax, tax collectors and sinners. And just side note, when I get to heaven, one of my questions to God is, why does he always lump tax collectors with sinners? I kind of understand that, you know, the 15th just went by. I understand why, but I just want to know why he did it. I want to know his thoughts behind that as well. But he, he, these, these tax collectors and sinners are talking with Jesus, and the Pharisees get indignant about it. They're like, look at him. Why is he talking with those people? And so Jesus goes on to tell uh, three parables now, often these parables are, are taught separately, um, but Jesus uh, decided he's going to teach them all together because he wanted this crowd to hear about God's love. So it's the, you guys know these parables, the parable of the lost son, the parable of the uh, lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son, right? And... Um, I love from a Middle Eastern perspective, you see, from a Western perspective, we, we see the, the word from man's perspective of God. From a Middle Eastern perspective, and I'm not comparing them, it's not one's right or wrong, but from a Middle Eastern perspective, it's God's perspective of man. And that's how they look at the word. And so uh, he calls it the parable of the good shepherd in the Middle East. It's the parable of the good shepherd instead of the parable of the lost sheep. It's the parable of the good woman instead of the parable of the lost coin. It's the parable of the good father instead of the parable of the lost son. It's from God's perspective. These stories, these parables about what God is doing. And so I want to read to you from these, these passages. Um, Again, focusing on God's love for us. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, The man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, 
I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not repent. Could you imagine if you were one of those tax collectors or sinners hearing this man talk about you in that way? Man, I don't know what that would be like to be there to listen to Jesus, but I would love to be a tax collector or a sinner that day for sure. He goes on, though. He didn't stop there. He didn't just stop at that one parable about the lost sheep. He gives them another example for them to understand. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continues. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. He went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I set out and I go back, I will sit out and I will go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to, call, to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That is Jesus giving parables, giving examples of what heaven is like and what God is like when it comes to wanting his people, to loving his people. And for me, my favorite of all these parables, my favorite is the parable of the lost coin. And the reason why that's my favorite, and, and mothers, I'll throw this in for free since it's Mother's Day, is God uses a woman to represent himself. But that's not why it's my favorite, though. But I'm throwing that in for Mother's Day. The reason why it's my favorite is because in the other parables, the parable of the lost sheep, if you're looking for a sheep, you know, the sheep may or may not make noise, but if he did, it helps you to find him. The parable of the lost son or the good shepherd, if if the son wanted to, as in this story, he decided, he changed his mind, he came to his senses. Or the son can cry out. You can find the son. God chose to use an example of the coin 
which is an inanimate object, to say that even if you cannot scream out to me, I will sweep this earth until I find you. And once I find you, I will rejoice. I will call, he says, I will call my friends and neighbors and rejoice once I find you. Even if you cannot cry out to God, God is looking for you. God is looking. He loves you that much that he's willing to do that for you. God loves you. Um, so, so understanding that, understanding God's love, considering God's love, what, sh what should our response be? I think we have two choices. One is the impossible choice that I talked about earlier is for us to start loving others like a mother loves her child. Have that kind of love for everyone. Not that that's totally impossible because we have a God of the impossible who can conquer anything, but it's tough for us to do. But what is something that I think is easy for us to do? That would be in Luke 8. And I'm not going to read Luke 8. I'm a, Luke 8. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. But Luke 8, there's a story in there about a woman with the issue of blood. And she's been bleeding for several years. Now imagine, Luke 8 is still within this, this um, Jesus traveling and ministering. And uh, so Jesus is walking along, there's crowds around him. And you guys know the story. The woman walks up, she grabs his garment, and she's healed. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, someone touch me. And his disciples think he's crazy because people are pressed up against him. Uh, one of the Bibles uses a word called throng. They're throng, which means you're, you're just so tied up, that tight together, that uh, you'll absolutely feel someone, uh, anyone touching you. But this woman goes in and she touches his garment. Jesus says, I feel power uh, has left me, and the woman is healed. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. I think... Um, when you look at that story, the crowds around him were enjoying Jesus. The crowds around him were focused on Jesus. If there's something that we can do, we can focus on Jesus. That's very doable for us. And here's why I use that example. Because in that time, in that uh, time frame, if those men, the Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees, any of those men would have seen that woman coming, they would have stopped her. They would not have allowed her to get anywhere near, near Jesus. Because in their custom, if someone's ill, someone's sick, if someone's bleeding, and you touch them, you become unclean. And if they would have saw her coming from a distance, they would not have allowed her to get close to Jesus because they would have been afraid that they would be unclean. But the fact that they were focusing on Jesus, not even paying attention to her, allowed her to get to Jesus. My question today is, what customs, what church traditions, what uh, experiences, what prejudices are keeping people from getting to Jesus? 
We all have them. What are they? We need to discover them so that we don't stop this woman from getting to Jesus. We don't stop these people from getting to Jesus. We have groups of people in, in our world that we that become our tax collectors and sinners, meaning we would be indignant towards them if we saw them eating or drinking with Jesus. But we have things in our life, things that we do, stuff that seems good, but is preventing people from getting to Jesus. Discover what those are because God wants every single one of them. And nor does he want us to be the Pharisees that get in the way of those people getting to him. God loves every single person on this planet. And it's up to us. It's up to us to focus on Jesus so much so that we don't care who's walking up to him. We don't care who's trying to hear what he has to say because we want everyone to hear what he has to say. Let's pray. Father, um, wow, Lord, will you just grab hold of our hearts right now, Lord? And will you uh, help us to understand that love that a mother has for her child, but will you help us understand that in a way that we can apply it to everyone? That we can, uh, Lord, have the love that you have for every single person I pray that you will show us that love, Lord, and then demonstrate it within us to allow us to go out in this world and love every single person on this planet. Father, you breathe your life into them, and they all are made in your image. Let us love them like that, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.